parents treat us the way you want to be treated. We aren't dogs, you know. That literally is the most perfect way of explaining what I've been trying to say this entire episode. Before this episode starts, we'd just like to issue a trigger warning for talks about body image, suicide, as well as descriptions of self-harm. Please take care of your mental health, and if you believe any of these topics might be triggering for you, please do not continue with the episode. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Haley, the founder of Because Mental Health, and this is Megan, my co-founder and head of projects. It's been a while, but welcome back. Today's episode is called From Teenagers to Parents, where we read anonymous submissions from our community who are brave enough to share their own personal experiences and relationships with their parents. Whenever we think of the term generation gap, we often think about like the artists or actors or even trends that were of our parents' generation but it can also be used to give reason to the misunderstanding between parents and their kids sometimes, especially when it comes to mental health. We hope that this episode is a place where teens can find comfort in these submissions, knowing that they are not alone, and that parents can tune in to get a deeper understanding of the truth behind teens' actions that never really made sense to them. So yeah, let's get into the first submission. Uh, The first one says... Dear parents, I thought of suicide when I was in grade four till now. Sometimes I cannot fall asleep and I am really stressed by the pressure to do better for marks and extracurricular activities. Although you might not be the main reason for my stress, you almost never listen to my opinions regarding if I want to continue learning a particular thing or not. You just say it is good for you and it seems better to finish it. I hope you can understand my feelings. I think that that's definitely I guess the main issue of it is about stress and the pressure and being in Hong Kong I definitely think that that's a core issue that everyone Mm -hmm. goes through um so yeah like obviously both of us came from DGS which is like a band one school so of course the pressure is like really high and obviously it's like a private school so there's also something that comes with that in a way uh I guess in your experience what how did you feel with all the pressure and like obviously you are quite successful and you're doing I mean pretty well mentally so um, do you like what what is your response to all of that I would say yeah I think um the pressure especially after getting into high school was really tough especially seeing so many people around you who are such high achievers and they're doing so many things with different organizations different teams being um chair ladies of certain um music music teams in our schools which is like the most prestigious level you can get basically and so um the pressure to do just as well as them or to just even be comparable to them is something myself and I'm sure a lot of people in our school like constantly think about and I think um when it comes to my parents there was like an issue with cello because I used to play the cello and I used to hate it I had no talent um and because squash was still my priority I didn't have a lot of time to practice either but it was like a thing that I also had to continue because it was good for me and it was better to finish it um so I ended up having to like finish grade well 
my parents told me that I had to finish grade eight, but they eventually gave up on me. So I kind of just quit after I got into secondary school. But um, I think the main main thing is to, um, the main issue with trying to do something or continue something that's that seems beneficial is that you're not passionate about it and you just don't have, you don't see yourself, uh, you don't see yourself in the future thanking whatever you did. Um, like, I don't see myself, I don't see me thanking myself for playing the cello, you know? It was kind of just like a dark path that I never want to go back. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I have. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, especially, I think we'll mention a lot more later because there's a specific submission that's about this, but like with BMH, uh, I know a lot of people kind of think that it's something that we're doing as like um, an academic thing or like an extracurricular that kind of is to like boost applications, which it could definitely be. But I think that there are a lot of people putting a lot of pressure into themselves to do something like this, to start an ECA or start an organization. And like, as you said, if it's not going to make you happy, if you're going to look back in 10 years and be like, I spent a lot of time on doing something that, you know, I didn't care about just for, you know, parents approval or college admissions. And that just seems like such a waste and it's going to be like so mentally yeah. draining for you. Um, but the submission also kind of talked about parents never listening to her opinions. And I really want to talk about this because I think we both have expressed in previous podcast episodes that our parents are a little bit more on the conservative side on many mental health issues. And especially like my parents, I had to bug them for at least like three or four, maybe even five years to even go to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And now I don't even go because uh, they thought that, hey, you know, you already have the medication. That's all that really needs to happen. It's a long story, but... Um, yeah, basically, what kind of what kind of your are your experiences with that with parents not listening to your opinions, and have you actually developed a strategy or um, a method to kind of let them actually listen to your opinions or actually get your point across to them? So there was this like um, the most the most recent incident where this had happened was with my SATs. Um, so I, I took it once and I was happy with with my results, but my parents kind of talked me into doing more, taking the test one more time. And it was something I'm really against because I was, um, I took my second SAT in August and early August, I just didn't feel like I was prepared. I didn't feel mentally well. I was very burnt out because I kind of just finished my exams and had to move to an SAT immediately. Um, so I struggled a lot for the next two weeks, um, kind of paying attention in class, but also not really because we had like tutors for SAT, right? And so um, what I eventually did because I just couldn't handle it anymore was I actually WhatsApped my parents about it, like wrote my notes app and then told them about it through it because there was no way I could talk to them in person um and while they kind of understood I ended up taking it anyways because (laughs) it wasn't like like 
they now understood my point of view and why I feel like it wasn't a right time for me to take the SAT, but they also made it seem like I should because the pros out, outweighed the cons. Um, so I understand from a technical point of view, but at the same time, when I had tried to open up, then they really like, they try to understand, but they also just don't. So um, this submission does hit close to home because, you know, a lot of things had happened and squash wasn't even the sport that I really wanted to play um, until later on when I kind of started talking to my therapist and um, got my path straight. But yeah, so there was a lot of back and forth and I can tell you 100% that I have never won a single conversation before. <laughs> other than getting my therapist because that was something I reached out to them about and they were I was lucky enough that they were happy to find someone um, for me so while it was hard to open up the process of getting to a therapist was pretty straightforward for me yeah parents as you grow up you kind of realize that they're their own people and as much as they like care for you they also have their own emotions and their feelings <laughs> so I always like to think of my parents as like talking to a friend as in if you ever are in an argument you have to have that notes app argument you have to have those yeah. like three <laughs> bullet points topic <laughs> sentence you know all that um so I definitely think that that's a really good way of just communicating with parents with anyone in general mm-hmm. um and yeah, um, that's probably why so many people in our school are good at debate because they just have to do it every day at home. <laughs> probably, I think I think I think most like um, under pressure students mm-hmm. will thrive in debate environments. <laughs> just in like just inherently, that's a mm-hmm. personality trait within themselves. You start training at six years old. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now going back to uh, the submission, they did talk about suicide, which I definitely have a lot of kind of experience with. And they said that they've had suicidal thoughts since grade four. I definitely think that I started having those kind of thoughts very, very young. I remember specifically at 10 years old, I literally told my mom that I wanted to die. And I don't think that that's normal even though the submission they themselves said that they had the same experience Mm -hmm. so why do you think that is do you think it's like in this modern day this like culture social media kind of glamorizes this like um feeling or is it just because like inherently when we feel sad when it gets way too overwhelming our first thought is just what is the easiest and most permanent way to solve this problem, if you kind of get what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting, it's very interesting to know that we often put social media as a main reason why so many kids are exposed to suicide um, thoughts or, yeah, um, I think because this submission says that she had suicidal thoughts when she was in grade four so I'm assuming that she actually didn't have a phone then and the popularity of Instagram was kind of not really there yet um so it's interesting to see because I have a feeling that it didn't stem from social media so it can either be 
you know, something inherited or something that she encountered before um, among her friends or even like adults and family members maybe. So I think the environment can be a huge factor um, about dealing with negativity because, you know, a lot of stuff you learn from your parents at a really young age. So if you constantly um, see them not being able to handle stress well, you end up learning their traits as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's a possibility. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm kind of looking back to grade 10, uh, not grade 10, when I was 10, and I'm like, I don't think I had Instagram back then, but how did I actually gain these thoughts? It might have been movies. It might have been the culture around me. I truly don't know. But on that note, though, why do you think that as young children, our first, like, how how did we get to suicide instead of, you know, solving the problem or um, other kind of methods? Why is it suicide? That's the first thing. Obviously, just now you did talk about genetics, but I don't know. I feel like you're like being in grade four, the thought of death shouldn't be the first thing that comes yeah. up. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, I think it's just the way things are in communities where there's a lack of listening. Like, our parents rarely ask a 10-year-old, how are you feeling today? Um, or are you okay? Um, you only get exposed to these questions when you're older. And when you actually have things to stress about. I'm not saying like a grade four student doesn't have anything to stress about, but that's now is like the prime time where things are getting really stressful and overwhelming. And so this is kind of when suicidal thoughts might appear. But as a grade four student, you just, I don't know. I mean, you have a lot of friendship problems in primary school. You'll end up hating going to school because you have to deal with all these people um, and I did have a fair share of hating school as well in grade three and grade four, because that's kind of when all of the friendship friendship problems were happening, even though it was like the tiniest of things, it just made me like go in the bathroom and cry. Um, so yeah, maybe she went to DGJS. <laughs> definitely, de definitely. That environment <laughs> was a little bit of, um, toxic one mm -hmm. to say the least but yeah and also when we're talking about the term it's good for you and when the when our parents constantly say that things are good for you they we always have to remember that they have good intentions behind it right they're trying to let you know that everything they ask you to do is good for you like eating your veggies or playing an instrument because apparently it makes you smarter or more intellectual and so um, I think while we have to keep that in mind, that it's good for our future, we have to remember that it also has to be good for your mental well-being, right? And so um, as a little grade four student, you might not have the power or the choice to say, this is not good for my mental health. But, you know, as you grow older, you should also learn to... Um, just you don't have to 
convince your parents, but you have to let them know that it's something bothering you. Like my parents knew I hated the cello and they eventually quit. They eventually let me quit even before they reached their target, right? And so, um, you know, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely, completely agree with you. And it goes back to the point I made just now that like parents are people just like normal people and just because they have a baby does not mean they're smart enough or caring enough to take care of that child so whatever they think is good for you yes like remember behind everything they have good intentions they want you to do well but like if it's really really bad for your mental health speak to them as a friend like even like as teenagers we'll probably go to our friends for advice for like relationships or everything Mm -hmm. and they'll give you advice because they think it's good for you but Obviously, some most, if not all of the advice will be helpful, but there are some that you won't want to take or you think won't apply to your situation. And you are completely valid to not take that advice just because your friend has good intentions. And so I definitely think that applies for this case, even though your parents think that something is good for you. If it really just doesn't apply for you, I think you have 100% no obligation to take on that responsibility or take up that ECA whatever you have to do what's right for you yeah so it's you know when parents say that it's good for you it's often good for your CB and not for your well-being yeah so we always have to keep that in mind (laughs) always in that yeah exactly (laughs) but at the same time I do have to say a lot of things that my parents made me do that were good for me like doing the violin the piano um take this all with a grain of salt because this took like 10 years but at the beginning I like really really hated the two and I would like I'd be forced to go to orchestra I'd I'd be doing like classes Mm -hmm. outside of school I ended up needing to like do grade eight and diploma and I remember even doing my like ATCL diploma I was like I hate this instrument like I'm never gonna take it up to like um you know year 13 as we call Mm -hmm. it in the UK but like now that I'm in uh, you know the last few years of school I'm actually loving the violin it gives me a kind of respite from all the school stress and all that and like I don't even I like I might even want to go to music college so like it, it everything really changes so you also have to uh, put you know everything in mind that I guess emotions do kind of change over time mm-hmm. but if it really is stressing you out and if it's causing you to have suicidal thoughts that's definitely a part uh, where you have to be like maybe even in the future if I do like the violin suicidal thoughts are just Mm -hmm. not worth it and you probably should stop or just talk it out with someone and as we've said many many times I think therapy or literally just talking to a licensed professional is the best um, solution or the best kind of plan of action in that case. Yeah it's funny because my brother also played the cello and he also hated it. He cried every time he had to go. But now that he's in high school, he's joining orchestra. Um, so like, yeah, it's funny how things change over time. And sometimes our parents are right in a way because like the SAT thing that I took in August, it ended up being a better score than my previous one. So, <laughs> so it might be luck, but it also just might be... Um, you know, the benefits of listening to your parents sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, 
I'm glad I made the move to let them know about my mental health. I think that was an important step for not just building boundaries, but also for building the relationship between the relationship I have with my parents. Yeah. Okay. So to any parents listening to this podcast, what would you want to tell them in regards to this submission? Yeah, I think, like I previously said, I think the the word good or the from the it's good for you, um, it branches out into two perspectives of your your kid's future and also your kid's well being. And being able to balance that out is really really hard as a parent, and I'm sure that it's a very very big struggle for every single parent, especially Asian parents.、Um, But I think that it's something worth digging deeper into and worth talking to your children about it. And、um, remember that your kid is still really young. I think, especially because this omission said that she already thought of suicidal thoughts in grade four. I think there's still such a long way to go in her life, and you can slowly let her find her interest. And slowly let her build her extracurriculars herself.、Um, you want to, yeah. You don't want to overemphasize on the fact that she, your kid needs a lot of extracurriculars, like at the at、um, in primary school. Because as you get into secondary school, most most students will have. A rough idea of what they're passionate about, and they'll want to do more in that field. So I think,、um, yeah, I think time is a really important factor as well. Give yourself time. Give your kid some time to figure out what they like, what they don't like, and let them make choices on their own.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, like okay, I'm assuming most of the parents listening to this podcast come from Hong Kong or just I guess schools. Um, that we're kind of affiliated with, and I definitely find that、um, parents from other schools, like in the U.S.,、uh, public schools, they kind of let their kids have more free reign with extracurriculars. They allow them to discover their interest, and actually, those children kind of turn out better in terms of mental well-being as well as with college applications because. You know that 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 personal statement part. They you you can really really show your personality, and I I have one hundred percent know that college admissions people can tell that oh yeah that person was like forced by their parents to do something. So I definitely think that allowing a kid to have free reign, especially in primary school, where like grades really do not matter, and ECAs like you might want to have a foundation of everything, but I assure you, every single instrument, every single sport can be picked up at the age of ten. Like you don't have to start them at the age of four in every single thing. It's completely okay. The,、um, there's this thing in Chinese where it's like yeah,、uh, like yeah, enjoy hey pao scene, which basically means like you have to be winning in the starting line, where you have to have all the foundations ready from the beginning. I don't think that that should be applied in in this. In this society, because it really places so much pressure on a kid, when it it first of all isn't necessary, and second of all is just so damaging to them. And I feel like it's such a waste of well the child's potential as well as just a person, a person who could have grown up to be 
extremely happy and Mm -hmm. you know fulfill their potential but in the end kind of wasted it in quotation marks because they were burnt out or stressed out or forced by their parents to do something I went on a little ramble there (laughs) no I completely agree with you I think before we move on to the next submission, because we spent half an hour on this already, but, um, <laughs> but the last thing I want to say is that passion beats talent always, right? You can, you can be very talented at a sport, but you can also hate it. And the other person who's very talented will work hard because of that passion and eventually just, you know, outdo it. And so I think, um, yeah, I think the main thing that has gotten me through the past 10 years of life was passion and being driven to a goal and working towards that goal myself without the influence of my parents forcing me to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, great. Okay, so I guess that will be our first response and we hope it really helped whoever submitted it or helped anyone listening because I'm sure that this is an issue that kind of uh, corresponds to many other people but now we're going to head on to our second submission which talks about a lot of different things so I'm actually going to separate this um, so I'm just going to read a section a paragraph of it and then we're going to discuss that uh, paragraph but I'll just get started so Uh, The submission reads, Dear parents, thank you for raising me and providing me everything and more that I will ever need. But I must remind you that just because you give me all these things, that doesn't give you the power to mentally abuse me. You say I keep things from you. Maybe it's because I can't trust you. Leaving my room to get some water and then coming back to see you on my computer. You've always asked for my privacy and may I ask, where's mine? So I want to stop there because... I definitely think this is a thing that happens with, I guess, tiger parents, quote unquote, uh, where they'll kind of invade your privacy, want to know everything that's on with your life. They'll like check your text messages. I definitely, my mom definitely checked my text messages up till the age of like 13 when I went to the UK. So she couldn't really check them anymore. So what do you, what do you think about privacy with parents and if you have any stories, do you want to give them kind of? So this submission is not really, it's not really easy for me to touch base with this one because I never had to deal with issues where they just come into your room and look at, see what's on your computer. But there has been cases where I was still I just started I just first started using my phone and they're just like they're they're like every single password my mom knows and I think while that's a little unsettling she I also know that she doesn't check it like it's just kind of there for I don't know why but it's just like she knows but she also doesn't physically log in and take a look at what I'm doing or what I'm seeing. I think it was just making sure that I was safe for the first few weeks of using a phone, um, making sure that I'm not talking to strangers, but that was about it. So it was all good intentions and I didn't really mind. Um, so yeah, what do you have? Yeah, um, I am a much more private person, I think, and I'm a much more paranoid person, mm-hmm. um, especially since 
I'm in the UK and I've kind of become more independent in many ways that uh, might not be the most um, parental friendly, but I completely agree with the fact that like, mm, I don't think that parent, I, I think this kind of goes back to the thing where it's like parents think that it's good for you. They want you to, you know, not be harassed by strangers on the internet. They want to know what you're doing so that, you know, you're safe. And um, I definitely have had a fair share of bad experiences because my parents were not there to be able to shelter me because I hid stuff from them. So I definitely think that, you know, your parents having some sort of access to your life is still very important. Um, but I also think that like going into someone's computer without their permission mm -hmm. is kind of um stepping over the line a bit and as the submission says like you breaking someone's privacy and trust makes them want to like reveal stuff to you less which could make it really unsafe in the long run like though I have grown in a relationship with my parents where um, I do tell them a lot of things just because now um, I feel more safe talking to them because I know that what they're doing is um, for my own good and I know that they actually care for me. Um, so that's made it a lot more, a lot better. Like obviously I still have my own privacy, but I do trust them in that way. So I definitely think that you need to strike a balance between um, just going into their, you know, computer or their text messages and just allowing them to open up to you. I think that parents really need to let the child um, determine what they want you to see, what they want you to hear. And I think that's the best way of kind of establishing a relationship. Yeah. And I also think with the trust issue, I think the first thing that parents should be aware of is that you should only ask your children to do something if you can do it as well. So it's something like, you have to, if you want to tell your parents to eat your veggies, then you have to eat them yourself. And if you want to set a one hour screen time for your kid, then you have to be able to do that one hour as well. And I think that's very, very important because it wouldn't make sense to have just 30 minutes of screen time when they're using eight hours. You know, you need like a role model and you need someone that, you need the person who set the rules to be actually also following the rules in order for um, trust to be built, I believe. And so, yeah, the, I used to have screen time as well. It was actually one hour and my parents were like on bed playing Candy Crush every night. And so, you know, I had to learn to put my feelings aside for that one, but it took like years. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I read that, I listened to that in a TED talk, so it didn't come from me, but yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely try to link that TED talk in the description once I find it, but yeah, I definitely think that um, just don't be hypocrite is mm -hmm. something that can really help in most relationships and especially in a parental one, but yeah. Um, I guess for the next section of the submission goes, I am queer and scared. You make all of these judgments and assumptions about LGBTQ plus people. I will say it here, I have a partner, but I'm afraid that not only will I not have your support on a relationship, but I won't even have your support because of my sexuality. 
I definitely, <laughs> as someone who is part of the LGBTQ community and do have, I would say, less liberal parents, it's mm-hmm. definitely a big thing um, that I am very scared about. And it is one of the things that um, I do keep from my parents. And that's the sector of privacy that I think um, kind of I keep. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. I do think that it's definitely still a generational gap kind of thing. It's not something that you can really easily change. You can definitely give them a lot of books to read or movies to watch that are about LGBTQ community. I definitely think that Everything Everywhere All at Once was a big one for my parents. I was like, like this. They watch watched it. it? Yeah. Well, oh but they, okay. After the after watching it, they were just like, "Oh, okay." They didn't like cry or anything, even though I was like mm-hmm. bawling my eyes out. Like <laughs> my eyes were literally swollen the next day. But so, um, yeah, that's definitely a thing you can do. But I do think that this is a very very hard issue to tackle because there's internalized homophobia and just homophobia in general is something that is so ingrained in both both just like. East Asian society and just society and social media and everything in general and I definitely think that it takes a lot of unlearning and it it needs to come from both the parents and the and like I I mean it needs to come from both the parents themselves wanting to unlearn it as well as other people giving them resources so it sounds really bad to say but if your parents don't support you I truly think there's nothing you can do about it even if you try your best and the best thing you can do is choose the safest course of action. I remember um, when some of my friends would tell me um, that their sexuality and they would ask me if they should come up to their parents. The first thing I would say is, do you feel safe doing it? If you do not feel safe doing it, do not come out to your parents. I, the only reason you should come out to your parents is when if you feel empowered to do it or if it really truly is necessary for any medical health reason. In any other case, if you feel like you are going to be abused, discriminated, whatever for it, I don't think you should be doing it. And I know this sounds really, really bad to say because we should all be extremely comfortable in our skin, but your mental health your physical health should come way before all of that and again it sounds really bad to say but after you're 18 you can move out you can go to like a more liberal place you can get emancipated from your parents um but that all comes if you stay alive and if you stay happy so if coming out if being someone who's lgbtq is something that is a barrier to that i would say don't do it mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay um i guess the next the next part of submission talks about um depression and, and suicide um so again a little warning on this um but it goes i have depression and i am suicidal i've been swimming for 11 years and playing basketball for seven When I don't get the grades you want, when I don't swim the results you want me to, when I don't perform in a game as well as you want it, is it necessary to yell or punish me? 
when I had swimming championships back in November, this is November of last year already, we've been kind of dragging this out for a while, I'm so sorry. But yeah, when I had swimming championships back in November, was it necessary to say I was a disappointment? Do you know how much that hurts? I'm going to stop it there for now because I, I really want to talk about this, especially since you are a student athlete yourself. Um, how does it feel to be um, to kind of feel like a disappointment, be called a disappointment or like just not do as well as you thought you did and having that pressure both from yourself and from your parents and just all of that compounded together? Like, how was that and how have you kind of dealt with it? Oh, it's great. I'm living my dream. Um, <laughs> Um, so, okay, so swimming for 11 years, that's insane. Um, I've been playing squash for 10 years, and I know what it feels like to be feeling like you are a disappointment. Um, my parents had never straight up told me that I was a disappointment, but, you know, I have always felt that way. And I think um, we have these friendly matches called leagues every week. So I play leagues two times a week. And the issue with that is that you're constantly playing matches and you're constantly put under pressure every week. Even though there's just friendly games, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect your ranking. Your parents are there to watch you play and they're there to criticize you. They're there to record your videos so that they can dissect it later at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I think the main core thing that parents don't understand is that we can't always perform you know we we may be the best player or swimmer in Hong Kong but we there's always going to be days where we don't feel like the best and there are always going to be days where things just don't work out and there's no way you can fix it it's just it just happens there's no um, sports psychologist or therapist or medication that will help you with that particular game it's just a bad day and there's no excuses or no reasons to it. And I think that should be a valid reason sometimes. You know, like when I go back home on the way, on the way home from these friendly matches, if I don't play well, then the whole car ride home will be about that match and it'll affect the rest of my day. And it'll be like, I go home, I cry, I can't do work anymore because on the way home, they make you they make you think that they know the game better than you do, even though they don't play the sport, they don't swim. So why are you telling me this? You're not the one on court, right? And so, um, but then in, com compar in comparison, when you play well, it's a totally different story, right? You go home, on the way home, your parents are so happy. They're singing Taylor Swift with you. And the rest of the car ride home is just always jokes and some stupid dad jokes that gets the whole whole family laughing. And I think while I'm very grateful that they are happy when I play well, it's devastating to know that there's such a huge comparison, right? Because parents should be there when you're down. They should understand that you're already putting a lot of pressure on yourself to do well. And if you don't play well you also criticize yourself right you also know that there's no escaping this bad day but you blame yourself for not being good enough to be able to fix this bad day and so when your parents are also there to criticize you on your bad day 
that makes things worse. Instead, if he, um, my parents told me those dad jokes when I didn't play well, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a better relationship. So I think letting your kid have time to process their own emotions before putting your own emotions on them is very, very important. Um, and I can say the same for musicians as well. It's not just student athletes, right? And so, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to keep on using this analogy, but I definitely think that now it's not the kids that need to think of their parents as their own people. I think it's the parents that need to think of their children as own peoples and not an an extension of their personality or an mm-hmm. extension of themselves because, you know, um, they have their own life and they have their own stressors. And even if you yourself have, I don't know, done swimming for 11 years or even longer when you were a child, your child is a different person and they like, you know, swimming is a different thing to them. And you should definitely not be putting your own experience, your own projection onto them. And I definitely think that you wouldn't treat your child, you wouldn't treat a friend like, like, poorly like that if your friend lost a swimming competition you would treat them as well as you know if they won you mm-hmm. would support them you would give them a helping hand you would give them a shoulder to cry on you would support uh, you know laugh with them listen to Taylor Swift with them that is something you should do with your child as well if they mm-hmm. lose it's fine it might be a, a little bit of a blow to yourself definitely But you also need to know it's a blow on your child, too. They're the one that's on court in the swimming pool, whatever. They're the ones that are feeling the most disappointed. And at that moment, they need your support the most. So I would definitely think that, like, really think about what you would do in in a case if it were your friend. If they lost a competition, you wouldn't go and start chastising them. You would try to make them feel as good as possible and... I think that's definitely a course of action that most parents need to really, really remember. Yeah, I think the main thing that you said that hit me the strongest was that um, parents are not, parents shouldn't be using their kids as an extension of their own achievements or personalities because I know players, um, squash players, whose parents are actually squash players themselves I think they have it the worst, right? They know exactly what you're doing wrong. They can pinpoint what you do wrong and they can analyze a game. And they all they talk about is the sport you play or mm-hmm. you both play. And so, um, yeah, like whenever my, let's say my parents try to criticize my game, at least sometimes I can butt in and say, oh no, you see, because I was doing this, so I couldn't do that. And therefore you're wrong, right? But when your parents are also players themselves there's nothing you can do to save yourself basically um so that's kind of off topic in terms of the submission but you know it's also something that parents should think about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely so they continue talking about um over the christmas and chinese new year holidays i've gained weight was it necessary to call me fat? Do you know how much it hurts as an athlete to say that, uh, to hear that? 
Um, when exams came in December, I was already all burnt out and I'm not going to lie. The only resource of happiness was my partner and my friends. I would Zoom with them every night because they were my motivation to study. I would be tired by dinner and you called me lazy and blamed it on the phone. Oh, um, first, so much to dissect in that little paragraph. There's fat shaming, which I think so many people have gone through. And I, I'm going to ask you specifically, how does it feel as a student athlete to be fat shamed? I know you've talked in the past that like you've been athletic all your life, so it's been less of a struggle for you. Mm -hmm. um, but have you heard that before? Or? Yeah. Um, it's very different, especially in the basketball slash swimming community, which is the exact sport um, she plays, because I've heard from some of my swimming friends that they have to like measure their shoulder lengths or make sure that their shoulders are broad enough in order to do the butterfly strokes. And, um, you know, basketball players are usually more built. And so even in the squash community ourselves, I know that people in the Sports Institute weight themselves and measure body fat and all that. So one thing that is a huge issue is that it might not necessarily be body shaming from other people, but body, body, internal body shaming. So it's a lot of like seeing that fat percentage, trying to get it down, but it's also Christmas and Chinese New Year. So it's like, you know, it's an internal struggle. And um, while I personally have never stepped on that scale before, so I actually don't know my body fat count, which is good. Um, I also try to avoid going on the weight just to scale myself because to me and my sport in particular it doesn't really matter how much you weigh as long as you can run and chase balls and coaches are happy right but for swimming and basketball they're a little different um and different sports you need different features right you need to have broader shoulders or you need to have more muscular legs or you need to have a more flexible hip it's always different and so I think um, especially non-immediately, sorry, especially non-immediate family members, such as the grandparents, when they don't understand the sport that well, and they don't understand what our body, body physically needs to play the sport, it's really challenging to tell them why you have broader shoulders than anyone else, you know, and it's hard to tell why you have such thick thighs because, you know, we have to go work out at the gym. We need to have stronger thighs to play certain sports. So, yeah. Yeah, That's I definitely nice see you, like, e even in the squash court, I see you, like, lunging all the time. I'm like, yeah, the muscles <laughs> in there must be, like, just, like, hard. So, and I definitely yeah. know that, like, especially in East Asian communities, it's, like, thick thighs. No. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think, again, it's such an ingrained thing in our society, but at the same time, you never hear your parents telling their friends, oh, you got fat or, oh, you know, all of that. It, it's always like within families. And I think that's something that we really need to change and that we need to see our family as, again, even though you guys are close, even though you guys are, you know, family, they're their own people with their own emotions, with their own feelings, with their own insecurities. And you can't just be saying all that stuff willy-nilly because they'll be really affected by it. Um, but I guess 
they also talked about being burnt out and then like their parents being like you're spending all your time on your phone I definitely hear that a lot I also cure my burnout with using my phone um whether it be by like just watching YouTube or chatting with friends because I you know chatting with friends does give me a lot of oxytocin release and Mm -hmm. it does make me happy but again parents really don't understand that and so have you had that kind of experience and I because I don't really I, I think that my parents have sort of accepted it as time has gone by because they've seen that you know even being on my phone I've still been able to maintain good grades mm-hmm. and yeah. it's really helped me but what about you have have you had to communicate this in any sense and especially with like burnout and parents do you think that's something that your parents have necessarily understood yet or no yeah so I have gone through the similar experience you had so it's always about proving yourself in order to you know make them realize that they assumed wrong right and so I did go out a really strong burnout phase and the only thing that got me through it was a Skype app you know so oh yeah and so and I think my parents took a long time to understand what, how it mentally helps me because, you know, being able to study with a friend and being able to talk to someone by the end of the night every day is such an important thing to have. And I think um, when my grades were really bad due to the burnout, my parents hated me for using the computer. They even considered setting screen time on my computer which doesn't make sense to me because I need google docs for work anyways but thank god that didn't happen but um yeah it was like a big deal for them and I think they made computers seem like it wasn't it wasn't a necessity it wasn't a necessity so I could kind of just study using pen and paper um um, once I switched it, once I switched to the A-level system, my learning styles suited that system better. And so my grades started going up and they started to realize that it's okay with, it's okay to do whatever I want as long as my grades are up there. Right. And so even though that's not like the, the best mindset to be in, because grades shouldn't be a measure of factor, it shouldn't be a factor to measure how hard you're trying but but it worked for me so but like um I have tuned in online on my phone to cure my burnout as well and I think social media has I mean not social media but like this century in general has placed so much negativity on social media that we often forget that there's also so many positive positives that come with it right and I think parents being um caring and them trying to look out for us makes it so hard for them to see the positives because there's just so many negatives right there's so many um crime or like news on goldfish memory or um shorter attention span because of social media and they forget that social media is the reason why we're one call one phone call away from our friends and I think 
if we use social media correctly, social media can be such a beautiful thing to have. And, you know, it's just a place where you meet your best friends and you stay connected with your best friends, no matter how far away you guys are. And I think, yeah, so for me personally, I've managed to prove to my parents that social media is not harming me even though it's not in the healthiest way. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that myself was the same, but I think that what parents should really be doing is like looking back on their own social media parents patterns because <laughs> they definitely like, you know, your parents, they use Instagram or just they use their phones. And I think they would have also realized that, you know, social media does make them happy or make them more productive and different ways of course it makes them unproductive in other ways but it does help them in many ways and I think that they need to understand that you know you as a child I think you're more susceptible to the effects of social media both in the good and the bad ways so it definitely can be helpful in many different ways um I know there was another submission that we will be talking about in a later episode that also did talk about um, parents kind of taking away their electronics and their phones as a form of punishment. And I definitely think that that is something we should start to avoid because, first of all, now, especially after COVID, so much homework and just work is set online. And if you lose your phone or a computer or whatever for one day, you could end up having like a huge pile of work overdue and it is something that it it ruins your mental health even worse makes your grades way worse so that's something we should definitely stop but yeah I think that's all I really have to say about this section yeah I, I think so too okay uh the next part says I would like to say one thing how dare you? Uh, you've mentally you've mentally tortured me so bad that two days before exams, I put a blade against my wrist. I regret it so much now, but I couldn't turn to you. You would say I was making it up or asking for attention or I was trying to make excuses. And I thought I was a burden to everyone else. The scar still haunts me every single day and I hate it. So both of us have self-harmed before so I think um this does relate in a few ways um for me I did scar myself on my stomach and it is something that I am really ashamed about to this day um not the fact that I did it but I guess the fact that the scar still remains and it's a permanent reminder of the moment of uh the mental state I was in um And I definitely have heard a bunch of people say, oh, you're just doing it for attention. You're just doing it so that people feel sympathy for you. But I think that's false in so many different ways. I think that most people, uh, myself included, like I did it in a space where the only way you can see the scars is if I'm wearing something like low waisted. And I think so many people, the first instinct they have after they like self-harm isn't to tell people to hide it that's why so many people wear like long sleeves or all of that and so I think it just doesn't make sense and and it really really hurts when someone says that because the only reason they tell you is probably because they trust you enough um to ask you for advice or just tell you um and that instantly removes all credibility all trust all all determination all hope 
that they can reach mm -hmm. out to you in the future because you're just if you're just going to criticize them then what's the point so like i think that <laughs> using the analogy again what if that were someone that you know your partner or yeah, your friend yeah. that went up to you and said that like you would care for them you would be extremely you might be disappointed you might be hurt you might be sad but you'll never say that they're making it up even if you can't see it i know this um you know kind of relates to many different issues like sexual assault and different issues where people are often saying oh you're making it up you don't have proof think about it as if it were your best friend you wouldn't ask for proof the first thing you would do is look at it from a place of compassion of a, from a sense of friendship and i think that's definitely something that you need to apply in every single situation but yeah what is what's your what is your thought on all that right so i do have a question for you because i yes i did self-harm but not in a way that left me scars um so i've seen online that people are proud of their scars there are like quotes around that says people are proud of their scars because it reminds them of the hard battles that they eventually did pull through right but at the same time there's also people who are very ashamed of it even though the scar has completely healed and it's been like years ago and i want to kind of understand your views on your scars and how yeah 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 so i personally if and at core deep down i don't actually i'm not actually that ashamed of my scars like um you know i sometimes snap people and they see my scars and i'm like okay that's that's chill but i think my mom has ingrained it so much into me that it's so bad like she gives me scarring cream to put on every night and like she never lets me wear anything low waisted she never lets me wear bikinis because of my scars and like every single thing that people kind of repeat to you or anything that society kind of ingrains in you it it kind of just you know you internalize it you yeah you definitely internalize it but I definitely think it it's really really good to think of it as an empowering thing but at the same time if you're someone who is scared of being ridiculed by people or mocked by people I definitely think that as I said earlier with the whole coming out thing you should never do anything that makes you feel unsafe if you yeah. feel that you are empowered that you want to show off your scars that is completely okay and I completely support you for doing that my best friend they show off their scars because they are completely recovered from everything um and they are an um, active mental health advocate so mm -hmm. they do that but as someone even though i am a mental health advocate i have not truly kind of um delved more deeply into that self-harm aspect of mental health and um honestly uh i go to a private school an all-girls private school and uh <laughs> that sort of thing is perfect. very definitely stigmatized so for me i personally won't show it off but i think it really depends on each person but yeah, that's that's yeah, a little bit question. of question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, with my own personal experience with self-harm, it normally comes in a form of pinching. And so 
because it's the easiest way to self-harm on court right because the only way I can breathe on court for a while was through pinching um because you know when you're training with people who you end up competing so much with there's always competition no matter what so I deal with so much um, anxiety and pressure and comparison and jealousy on court every day that I needed to find a coping mechanism and a way to breathe and let myself feel like I'm present at the moment. And so pinching became the easiest way because I had no access to anything sharp, right? And so, um, yeah, and it was also the least visible way, I feel like it was easy to hide. And even if it wasn't hidden, people would just assume it's a red mark and you accidentally bumped yourself or something. So it's easy to cover up as well. Um, but I do agree with the fact that it's nothing, there's nothing, like I don't try to hide it, but it's also not because I want someone to see it. You know, I think that's such an important thing to remember because just because I don't hide it doesn't mean I'm proud of it. And it doesn't mean that I want people to talk about it. And I do, and it doesn't mean that I want someone to bring it up. Exactly. You know? And so I think, yeah, so I think, um, I mean, it's, it's good to have someone care about you. And if you see, if someone sees me have a scar, I mean, I'd be happy for them to talk to me about it, but just not in person or just maybe ask me first if it's okay to talk about it before trying to analyze it and tell me that I'm an attention seeker or anything like that yeah yeah I I think I definitely agree like I wouldn't necessarily want to show off my scars but if someone does see it I won't be ashamed to be like oh yeah mm -hmm. I definitely have self-harmed and like I am very happy to talk about it with people but, you know, it definitely, again, depends on the person. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, next part. Um, the submission says that. Wait, do you have anything else to add to this? Okay, yeah. The next part uh, of the submission says, throughout the years, even when I was five or six, I heard you say the nastiest things, but I thought it was normal because you were my parents, and there, but there was a huge period of time that I hated you with an absolute passion. I also wish for you to stop comparing me with my sister because she isn't perfect either. Children and students are not objects. Some may have depression and can't focus. Others may have something bothering them. So please take some extra time to look out and look after these people. Even asking, are you okay, means a lot. Parents, treat us the way you want to be treated. We aren't dogs, you know. That literally is the most perfect way of explaining what I've been trying to say this entire episode, which is, you know, parents, your children aren't yours necessarily they're not you're an extension of your own personality and they're all their own individual people and you can't just um apply your rules on them apply your emotions on them because they are their own people and as someone who has an older brother I know you do too um I definitely get compared to him a lot uh, he also, I guess, kind of gets compared to me. Um, we kind of had a discussion about how he was kind of the guinea pig of the family because he had to do all of those activities first. And then after what he went through, um, you know, 
like after him doing the violin, my mom was like, hey, maybe Megan should do the violin as well because of my brother. So there's all there's always an aspect of comparison that like it inevitably inevitably happens because you guys are in the same family. But uh, I definitely think that it's such a harsh sort of pressure to put on someone. It's like it really gets internalized more because it's like, yeah, we share the same DNA. So it kind of makes it worse in a sense that like um your sister or your brother or just your sibling is doing something that you can't but what what is your view on this because you also have siblings look I can go on forever talking about sibling relationships there can be a whole other episode that we can dive into um but to shorten everything I'm glad I had my brother to go through his path so that I can go the other direction and strive in my own way. I think um, you said that the guinea pig is so true because what worked for him, I did too. But what didn't work for him, I went the other way. So it became like my life became so much more easier because it was no longer an experiment. It was like, you should do this, you should do that because it didn't work out for your brother. And there are pros and cons that come with it because I now reached the ultimate goal that I've always wanted to achieve since I was primary five. So I know that my brother being the guinea pig worked out for me, right? But the cons that come with it are not being able to live the way you want to live because your parents proved to, sorry, because your brother proved to your parents that he failed. So like, for example, if, I mean, my brother is not a failure. Like he did not fail at anything, but I'm just saying like in a more exaggerated way. But um, I think the main issue with my brother being the guinea pig is that I was not able to go to the paths that didn't work out for him. So like, for example, let's say if my brother didn't do well in high school because he eventually went to boarding school during grade seven or grade eight, um, that also meant that I was not allowed to go. Like it wasn't even a path that I could think about. So I had to stay in Hong Kong until secondary six because it didn't work out for my brother, you know? And so does that make sense? No, yeah, that completely makes yeah. sense. Um, so I think that's the biggest issue with that. Uh, it's just that I I will always think about what happens if I did this or what happens if I did that differently or what happens if I didn't listen to my parents and went that way instead. You know, there's so many different outcomes and in different scenarios, you always have a possibility to strive as well, you know? So it's not like a one-way road to get to a final destination so I think um I'm kind of going off topic there but at the same time to pull back into the submission um comparing siblings it's just pure wrong because other than the fact that you guys share the same blood there's nothing else in common Mm -hmm. right you guys 
play this different you, you guys are good at different things one might be good at drawing one might be good at swimming and you can't merge these two paths together it's just impossible and so I think really respecting their differences and knowing what they're good at and knowing what they're passionate about and letting them walk their own paths is the, the way to go yeah yeah 100% I I have a really like completely different story because ever since I was young I was literally doing the same things my brother did every single thing violin or like math um I did like a math camp thing for the longest time and <laughs> this sounds like I'm bragging but for a long time it was said that I was just better than my brother mm-hmm. when he was his age for a lot of things however my brother turned out very successful and I've been kind of compared to him in, in the way that like I've been more smart than him. I feel Ooh. a lot of pressure to be better than him or at least equal to him. It is <laughs> a weird sort of pressure because it's like there isn't that kind of pressure. Like my parents have never pressured me to do that. It's just it's so internalized because it just seems like the formula is there for me <laughs> to do all those things. But it doesn't it, it doesn't happen like that you know every person is different and I think that's definitely a uh, a thing that parents need to care about that like not everything has a formula like even in college applications in cooking in whatever someone follows a recipe and they succeed at making you know a cookie someone else might fail someone else uses the exact same college application essay the exact same extracurriculars some other person might do the same one might get into Harvard, one might not even get into any Ivies. Like there is there is a huge like just because you follow you follow a specific formula doesn't mean that you'll get the certain result. And I definitely think that parents need to remember that is even within children where you think I mean, even within siblings where you think, oh, they say share the same blood, nature, nurture, whatever should be the same. It really isn't like all everyone is different I mean like the moral of the story is that siblings are not the same right and so they should not be compared to follow a certain formula even like when you say that the formula could be the same it also could be very very different so I think parents really need to understand that I mean I had to listen to a lot of conversations where um I'm I used to be compared to my brother a lot in terms of what I should and should not do like don't turn out like that don't do this or else you turn out like that or um something along the lines of that and so it really took my therapist to talk to my parents in order for that to stop which I'm very grateful for um and so there go and so therefore go to therapy but um but um yeah, so I think I had to deal with the comparison for a very long time. Not in not like yours in a sense that I need to in a sense that they just really just remind me to not do whatever my brother did. Um so I also I also am not close to my brother. Like we don't talk at all, we don't text, we don't do anything of that sort. Um but I really sympathize with him because I can't imagine what it's like for a parent to say that 
um, his sister is better than him in any sort of way because he was the guinea pig after all, you know, he had to go through a lot. And um, yeah, even though he's not in the world's best colleges, he's still doing a lot better now that he's on medication and all that. And I am very proud of him nonetheless. Yeah. yeah like I think we're both really proud of our brothers we did have a conversation mm-hmm. about all the skinny pig stuff and he did say that he always felt that he was never the favorite and that I was the favorite because he was the guinea pig and he made the mistake so that I could succeed he made and then he succeeded so that I could succeed but I was, I personally thought that I was never the favorite because my brother was the successful one you know he got into the good schools he got the good grades so like we're all our own people and I think that communication is so so important like parents talk to your kids talk like siblings talk to your other siblings like this is so important and you know there's so much you can learn from each other and there's so much that doesn't need to be compared I think just letting them exist letting things happen even if it seems like they're equal or able to be compared just letting it happen is fine yeah definitely and it all it all eventually works out right and I think building relationships is so much more important than trying to get into a better school than your other sibling um yeah in in some cases both siblings strive and everyone's happy so there you Uh, go (laughs) I think that is it for the first two submissions uh I think this episode has been dragged out for quite a while and but I I do hope that both parents siblings students uh, friends have all learned something from this episode whether it be to treat everyone as their own person Mm -hmm. as an ends of themselves rather than a means to an end and that um, your mental health really does come before a lot of different things obviously your physical health comes with your mental health but um, Haley, is there anything you'd like to say to conclude the episode? I mean, while we all live under the same household 24-7, I think it's very, very important to make sure that your kids are your best friends. You've been saying that the entire episode. And so I want to reiterate that one last time. Stop and think about what you would say to your best friend and say it. Don't say it because... Don't don't use I care about you as an excuse to force them to do something or to punish them. Because while there are good intentions of doing so, it's just not healthy at all. So don't do that because that's all we've been hearing the past 16 years. And we don't need any more of that, right? We need more respect, more boundary setting, more communication and more friendship. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode. and. We will be back in a short time with all the other submissions. So if you def- if you sent any, uh, we will definitely be getting to them. Do not worry. But thank you so much. And we will be with you next time. Bye. Bye.